This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. What if you are somebody who is pregnant right now, hearing all of the things? What if you're a journalist covering those things? It's not like you can say, well, you know, I'm just going to take what I've heard and I'm just going to tune out of everything. Uh, No, if you're a journalist, you're listening to every little thing that's being said. Jamie Marocker is in that situation right now. Jamie is with Global News and joins us on London Live. Jamie, how you doing? I'm not doing too bad. Just hanging out of my house like I think everybody else is. Okay, and you are pregnant right now. How far are you along? Yeah, I actually have um, 22 days till my due date, so I'm nine months. Whoa, okay, so this isn't like, all right, well, I'm due in July or August, and we'll wait to see what happens then. You're getting close. Oh, yeah, we are extremely close. I mean, the baby, I'll be a full term, so 37 weeks is full term tomorrow, and baby could essentially come anytime. How do you feel? about that honestly um it has been a little bit stressful i mean i think a lot of people know that we had two cases of covid19 um within our organization here at global news we did write a story about it uh and that brought it really really close to home especially for me since i work in that office i I know for a lot of people, especially people who are pregnant right now, it is extraordinarily stressful because there hasn't been a lot of information. And the sample sizes when it comes to coronavirus and COVID and the effects on a baby or a fetus are so small. So um, I really wanted to dive in what into what my birth and possibly birth plans for other women could look like. And there are some significant changes, um, and essentially, the procedures and processes are changing day to day as this whole situation does. So let's talk about some of the things that you were able to uncover in looking into this story. What did you find about changing birth plans? Yeah, so um, the biggest changes are going to be for those people who um, are potentially uh, COVID positive or, sorry, I guess I should say presumed COVID-19 positive or have tested positive because in that scenario, you would no longer be able to do a home birth or say at the birth center, we have a birth center here in Toronto. Instead, you would have to go to the hospital. You would only allow uh, be allowed with you one support person, whereas typically you're allowed a few more. So that either means if you've booked a doula, your doula can't come if you also wanted your spouse or significant other or partner there, or vice versa. So only one support person. That support person at no time would be able to leave the room because they may have been contaminated as well. Um, your doctor or nurse would have to take extra precautions that means goggles mask full gown that sort of thing and you would also have to um, likely have an epidural I know a lot of people um, like to try for the natural birth thing uh, but they're saying because of the chance that you would maybe have to have a c-section at some point they don't want to risk intubation which could ultimately put more Um, stress on the doctors and a chance of them getting infected with COVID. So you'd have to have the epidural to be prepared for that. There'd also be fetal monitoring throughout. Um, And then when the baby came out, we actually just learned yesterday that if you were, say, having a preemie baby, they would actually isolate you and quarantine you from your baby. Um, If you were having a child who was healthy, they would isolate the mother 
and the child together so you wouldn't have to be separated. And I think that's the greatest fear for a lot of um, parents who are giving birth, that they're going to be isolated from their child. So at this point, the recommendation is obviously to stay away from people if you are pregnant, especially because if you could contract COVID or they think you may have contracted it, your presumed case, it will definitely shift your birth plan. We are talking with Jamie Morocco right now. Jamie is in about 22 days expected to give birth. Jamie's also a digital broadcast journalist with Global News. Now, Jamie, every couple will make that birth plan. You'll be comfortable with that mm-hmm. birth plan. To have something like that changing at the last minute, how has that impacted you? It's been really, really stressful. I'm in the point of my pregnancy where I'm supposed to see my care provider at least once a week. That has now changed as well. So all of your appointments, if they're non-essential, so if you're not getting a test or you don't have a screening of some sort, you're actually not going in anymore. They're really trying to mitigate the amount of people who are at midwiferies or who are in hospitals and how many people they see. Um, my birth class, for example, that is now via Skype. We're not allowed to all be in a room together. That's quite obvious. Um, another big thing, and this will be likely hard for a lot of parents um, and new mothers-to-be, is what happens after the baby is born. So public health obviously has been recommending that everybody kind of social distance or self-isolate depending on their situation. Um, For us, this means that no parents, whether they've traveled or not, um, are going to be able to see our newborn baby until public health lifts that directive. So essentially my uh, GP as well as my midwives have told me best practices until social distancing is over it's just going to be my husband and I who are able to see the baby, which, to be really honest, is a little devastating, especially as a first-time mother. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know what? You're going to get through this. Your family's going to get through this. Your friends are going to get through this. And you'll all look back and you'll talk about this time. And I'm sure more pictures can be shared from every possible angle than we could even <laughs> imagine. So thank you so much for outlining some of the changes that have gone on. Best of luck with the next either 22 days or is it okay if I say 12 days, you know, 10 days <laughs> early, that's okay, or, or 32 Absolutely. days, whatever it has to be. Whatever and, it has uh, to be. Be safe, be well, and enjoy, okay? Because it is possible. You may not have heard, but my wife and I had a baby during SARS, and while it didn't seem anything like this, you you had to do some certain things, you had to change some certain things, and now we just look back and tell it as a story. Amazing. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. Joining us right now to talk about this from the Center for Olympic Studies is the director of the International Center for Olympic Studies and a part of the School of Kinesiology and Faculty of Health Sciences at Western University, Dr. Angela Schneider. Dr. Schneider, thanks so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Dr. Schneider, when you look at the fact that the Olympic Games are one of the only sporting events that has not seemed to experience any kind of suspension or contingency plan or anything of that sort, how much of a surprise is that to you? Well, I can see that it's a surprise to the general public, but with the history of the IOC and its positions on crises in the past, it is following uh that historical pattern. The IOC's approach um, since the start of the modern Olympics 
has been to go ahead and hold the games when there have been viruses and crises. The only time it was ever canceled was in 1916, 1940, and 1944, and that was for the First and Second World Wars. So they're in a pattern, but they do look very isolated right now, and they are very isolated right now. Um, And I think the messaging around it has been unfortunate as well. I think that they've done themselves no favors in the way it's come out. Uh, So I think there are problems with that. When you look at athletes like Haley Wickenheiser, who have now come out and essentially made long statements. I mean, she had a statement so long it wasn't covered in the 240 characters of Twitter. It had to be posted on Twitter, and it questioned what they were thinking because athletes have to train, athletes have to travel. Can you put some perspective on what an athlete might be going through right now? Yes. I also have a copy of the open letter that the Canadian Olympic Committee sent to their athletes uh, on this issue. And, And they're all trying very hard to keep hope, basically. And and Wickenhauser's major criticism of the IOC, as I read it, was that they didn't express clearly the total uncertainty of the situation and to just sort of baldly claim they were going to go forward without putting it in that context is seriously problematic for the athletes. The COC did not do that. In their open letter, they specifically said, and I quote, our hope needs to be put into context. And they go on to mention that we need to talk about world health and this issue as a primary issue, and sport is second to that. The COC says that clearly. But at the same time, they want to hold out hope and encouragement for the athletes to continue to train, but only in safe ways, meaning practicing uh, social distancing as much as possible, which is physical distancing, and maintaining some possibility that some answer might happen here. I think they're also very clearly saying that the odds are against it. Um, So I think it's a better um, approach, what the COC has done, than what's come out of the IOC in Luzon um, recently, at least in the media coverage that I've seen. We're talking with Dr. Angela Schneider, the director of the International Center for Olympic Studies. Dr. Schneider, we can't help but think that the IOC holds out hope because so much investment goes into hosting a game, so much preparation goes into hosting a games. How easy would it be to postpone or delay? Well, that is for sure, there's huge dollars involved now. There never used to be, of course, up until 1984, the Olympics didn't make money. But for the Japanese in particular, Some of the estimates are huge for the losses, um, and that is part of the reason why people think that they are remaining so adamant. So, for example, some estimates say that cancelling the Games would reduce Japan's annual GDP growth by 1.4%, which is huge. Um, At the same time, of course, people who are maybe not sports fans (laughs) stand back and look at this language and look at the messaging that's coming out and saying, are these people in the real world here? Don't they understand what's happening? So it really is a serious challenge financially, but of course the financial concerns are secondary to the health concerns, and they need to get that messaging clear, and they're not, or it hasn't been coming out that way, except for the open letter that the COC wrote. 
Well, we'll see what does happen as we go forward. Dr. Schneider, thank you for your perspective on this. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Steve Riles, the executive director of the London Humane Society. Steve, how's Thursday? <laughs> Thursday's right after Wednesday, right before Friday, I guess, this weekend. That's kind of the way it's going, right? I mean, I could ask you, how is the uh, one to two hour? And that would probably be just as good, just as specific. Uh, let's talk a little bit about changes that you've experienced this week under what has happened at the Humane Society. Is anything different? Yeah, I would say a little bit different, um, and some things are just still the same. So we are continue to provide the care um, and, and love that we do for all the animals that uh, we have here at the shelter, and uh, we'll continue to do that, of course. Um, what we are trying to do, and, and obviously this is uncharted uh, waters, I guess as they say, for all of us, and so we're trying to figure that out as we go um, and, and try to flatten that curve uh, and do our part. So what we what we've launched is by appointment only uh, entrance into the, the shelters. So, so we're encouraging people to to go to the website and uh, if in real time are animals that are available for adoption, um, and if you're serious about that potential uh, matchmaking, then to reach out and book an appointment for us on that specific animal, and, and we'll arrange a time and a visit here at the shelter. Um, same goes with with surrenders. And, and surrender uh, for those people that don't understand what that might mean could be, you know, maybe you're just not able, able to look after that pet anymore. Maybe the owner has passed away and, and family has to take in that pet. And it's just not a good situation. Um, students are being um, taken out of our community and going back to their homes. And, and so maybe that situation or going back to a different country in some cases. And, and so we're seeing those surrenders come in as well. So, so those are by appointment. Okay, and that's something that exists normally, right? Yeah, we, we do that on a normal basis. It's just normally there's not an appointment. We just usually are always encouraging people to come in for visits and, 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 and interact with us. But uh, obviously with the current situation, we're doing it on a one-by-one and, and uh, really not trying to become that place for people to come down and just hang out with the pets or pet at this point. Um, i got to you know, look after our staff and our animals in those cases. Steve Rowell joining us, Executive Director with the London Humane Society. In terms of supplies and things like that, has there been any issue keeping up with supply for what you need for the animals? So we're probably in a similar situation as everybody else. Uh, cleaning supplies or um, being more careful with them and, and, and moving forward with those. So we are short, you know, uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, cover from detergent to uh, cleaning supplies for your dishes and laundry um Clorox wipes that kind of stuff um anything that you know would help us clean would definitely be valuable and and of course food is always an issue for us so we're always looking for donations there so if somebody wanted to make a donation or maybe had some extra cleaning product thinking hey I'm going to need this and now they're realizing you know I probably won't need this what's the best way to get that to you yeah there's a couple of ways um, one would be definitely to come down. Our administration has a double set of doors, so someone could just come in, put it inside the door, and, and, and most people have just been ringing the doorbell and then leaving, and, and that's super cool at this point. Uh, normally, we like to track who's making donations so we can send thank yous, but at this point, obviously, we're all trying to keep back uh, interactions. Um, the other way is to go to our website, and um, you can do a few things there. You can donate financially. 
Um, that allows us to order in products and stuff specifically to what we need. Um, they can make uh, those donations or sign up for our program, which will really allow us to um, to plan out in the future. Um, and then the other way people can help is is just to share the information that we're providing out there to the community or when we post an animal for adoption, if they want to share that on their social, spreading the word is always good. And everybody loves to get a picture of a cat or a dog or a bunny or a rat on their on their Facebook page from time to time anyway. So it's nice to share that information out. Perfect. Steve, anything else we need to know before we go? No, I just take care of yourself and, and thank you very much for the opportunity and for spreading the word about Humane Society London and Middlesex. Hey, we're not forgetting about anyone or any cat, dog, bunny, guinea pig, or whoever else you might have inside those doors. That's right. We're here for them. All right, Steve, take care of yourself. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 